I am well aware this morning that I would say 95% or more of our congregation knows exactly what Celebrate Recovery is. Um, but we're going to cover briefly, uh, just for those of you who don't know, or for those of us who need a refresher, very briefly, um, the nuts and bolts of Celebrate Recovery. Celebrate Recovery is a Bible-based 12-step program that helps us overcome our hurts, habits, and hang-ups. Which, as you guys know, I mean, that's a very broad topic, hurts, habits, and hang-ups, but we all have them. Uh, And I'll get to that more later. Uh, Celebrate Recovery here that's hosted by Northside's in its 10th year meets at 6.30 p.m. on Thursdays. Uh, During that time, they worship together, they pray together, they break into small groups and they talk about their hurts, habits, and hang-ups, and they fellowship together. Uh, It's a fantastic evening. Uh, I've spent many evenings, many Thursday evenings that celebrate recovery. Don't have the time to, I haven't had the time to for a while, but it's an amazing evening. Um, Past that, there's a more intense or more intentional version of the 12 steps that's called a Healing Grace Step Study. Uh, And that's where you get with the same group of people Every single week, and you intentionally go through the steps together and discuss your hurts, habits, and hang-ups, and how you can recover from those. And that's what happens on a step study. There's actually one graduating today, which is an amazing thing. And if you're interested in a step study after today, after the lesson, uh, just keep, uh, keep your eyes out into the bulletin on Facebook and from the pulpit. We definitely make it known when a new step study is starting Uh, And we would love it if you guys would be a part of that. We also have on Thursday nights a youth version of Celebrate Recovery, which is called The Landing. Um, And that is where our our young people, uh, 17 and below, our teenagers, can go and they can also walk through these steps. And they can talk about their hurts, habits, and hang-ups. Which I know for me personally, it would have been amazing to have had a program like this when I was that age. CR has been going on as a whole for 26 years. For 26 years, this program has been going, and it stood the test of time. Five million people have participated and graduated from a Healing Grace Step Study since it started. So this is a very well-known ministry. And that's an amazing number, 5 million, but the the more amazing number is the fact that 70% of the people who graduate those Healing Grace Step Studies come from outside the churches that host this, which means it's an amazing tool for evangelism. Of those 70%, 85% of them stay and serve at that congregation after they've graduated the Step Study. Those numbers are awesome. I have yet to hear a ministry, other than the ministry of the gospel, which is what CR does, that has that kind of statistics, those kind of statistics. Again, Northside is in its 10th year of Celebrate Recovery. So who is Celebrate Recovery for? And the short answer to that is everyone here. Celebrate Recovery is for every single one of you. We all experience brokenness from hurts, Habits and hang-ups. If I were to, if I were to right now ask you guys, 
Who here has struggled with sin? Who here has struggled with uh, things that were no fault of their own that they had to get through in life? Who here has hung up on something that they wish they weren't? Every hand would go up. But we can find freedom in Christ when we allow his power to change us as we go through those things. And that's what Celebrate Recovery is. If you've ever experienced past physical, sexual, or emotional abuse... Uh, if you've grown up in a family of dysfunction, if you've grown or if you have addictions like drugs, alcohol, sex, gambling, food, or anything else that we often idolize, that we put in the place of God, that we can't stop idolizing, if you have emotional hangups like anxiety or depression or low self-esteem, um, which I know are in our pews because statistically those types of things are skyrocketing. Those type of problems are skyrocketing right now. If you have anything that causes you shame or guilt or despair or depression or anger, Celebrate Recovery is a great place to go to start working those things out. And I highly encourage you to do it. Few questions you can ask yourself to figure out if Celebrate Recovery is for you. And these are ones, there's obviously a lot of questions we can ask, but these are ones that I think are most common in our pews. So if you're considering it, if you thought maybe I should do a step study, maybe I should go to celebrate recovery, ask yourself these questions. Number one, do you restart every day or every week or every month over and over and over because a specific sin is dragging you down? Are you constantly saying, oh, it's Monday, I'm starting fresh. Oh, it's October 1st, I'm starting fresh. Oh, it's the new year, I'm starting fresh just to have that sin drag you down again. There is sin in our pews. We don't like to talk about it. We don't like to act like it. But it's just a fact. It sits right next to you. If I learned anything uh, going through four separate step studies and celebrate recovery, I learned that there's sin in our pews. It doesn't matter how much somebody looks like they've got it together. It doesn't matter how great you think they are. There are sin in our pews. Second question, do you get upset with yourself because you don't share the gospel with others like you should? And again, this is a common feeling. I've been there. There's been times in my life where I realized the truth and I realized I need to share the truth, but for whatever reason, I couldn't go do it. And that's not a good feeling. And again, this is common in our pews. So if you have ever gotten to the point where you know that you should share the gospel with people and you haven't done it, Celebrate recovery is a fantastic place to start. Third question, do you have a secret that's weighing you down and hindering your walk with Christ? And this doesn't have to be a sin. This could be something that was no fault of your own that you went through. Maybe when when you were a child or in your teenage years, do you have a secret that's weighing you down and, and hindering your walk with Christ? If you have that, celebrate recovery is great for you. Last question, have you overcome a specific sin through God's power and to his glory and you have a story to share. If you were here and you were in sin, in a sin, in an amazing sin, in in a sin that was, was tearing you apart and you were able to completely change your life through the power of God and to God's glory, then we need you over there because there's people who are going through that same struggle that need to hear about how you did that. 
So if that's you, we need you over there too. And that's Celebrate Recovery in a very small nutshell. Again, I think most of you guys are aware of what Celebrate Recovery is. And my goal this morning is not to give you guys every minute detail about Celebrate Recovery. My goal is to shine a light on the power that makes such a successful program possible. Those numbers, that 5 million, that 70%, that 85%, none of that would be possible without the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, without what the steps bring you to. It wouldn't be possible at all. So let's shed a light on that this morning. Um, I've got a secret to share. It's actually kind of an omission of sorts at the end of, of my lesson. So stay tuned for that. I want to tell you guys something uh, that you probably know about Celebrate Recovery, but, but you might not. And before I do that, though, I want to I walk you through what I believe is the greatest threat to modern Christianity, at least in America. The greatest threat to growth in the kingdom in America. And it also happens to be the number one reason, the number one excuse for not participating in something like Celebrate Recovery. This is a threat, and I'm sure some of you guys already know what it is. This is a threat that separates us in America from the places in the world where Christianity is growing and thriving, uh, and, and they can't stop the growth. It's amazing. This is a threat that can make long-time mature Christians stagnant in their faith. This is a threat that we will do mental gymnastics to make it seem okay. We'll make it seem like a good thing because our flesh desires what this threat represents. This threat is so deep that it's very commonplace in our pews. We know it's there, but we don't like to look at it. We don't like to see it in each other, and we don't like to see it in ourselves. And we sometimes don't even notice it unless we're hyper-focused on it, unless we're analyzing ourselves. So we're going to look at what I believe is that greatest threat this morning. And that threat is comfort. It's huge. And some of you guys already guessed that. And a better way to put this in a spiritual sense is an unwillingness to be uncomfortable for the cause of Christ. Because we'll be uncomfortable for things. I promise you, you will. But it's an unwillingness to be comfortable for the cause of Christ. And if you're taking any notes today, write this down. Comfort is the enemy of growth. Comfort is the enemy of growth. You guys already know that. You might say, well, I don't know. that." You, you know that. I'll, I'll show you how you know that. If you want to grow in your career, in your relationships, in money, in anything, you know inherently as a human being that you have to be uncomfortable. It's also an extremely obvious biblical concept. There's many biblical examples of this, so you don't have to take my word for it. We see this everywhere in the Bible. What I want you to do is a quick exercise with me. Think of any pillar of faith in the Bible, your favorite one, other than Jesus. Think of any pillar of faith, an amazing man or woman for Christ. And look at the cornerstone events in their lives. Look at the things that they went through that we can read about in the Word of God. And then I want you to ask yourselves, were those events comfortable for them? 
number one. And number two, did they grow in their faith through those events? You look at Abraham and Isaac. Was that a comfortable thing that happened? Being asked to sacrifice your son. No, that was obviously not comfortable. Did he grow in faith because of it? Absolutely. Look at Daniel in the lion's den. Was that a comfortable experience? A man about to be tortured and eaten alive? No. God saved him. Did his faith grow? Absolutely. Look at David and Goliath. This, this man that could, could murder a thousand Davids, mocking his God. Was it comfortable to face that man? No, but he did it in faith, and his faith grew. Paul's whole life was uncomfortable. I look at Paul's life, and I'm always humbled. I'll read this to you guys so, so we know. Just think about the, the level of discomfort that was in Paul's life. 2 Corinthians eleven twenty four through 29. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily pressure of my concern for all churches. Who is weak and I do not feel weak? Who is led into sin and I do not inwardly burn? What an amazing list of a truly uncomfortable life. If I look historically at people in the Bible, the one person that I would probably never want to trade lives with is Paul. He was uncomfortable. Did it grow his faith? Absolutely. If you're still not convinced, the next step is to look at our namesake. We're disciples. We know who we follow. We follow Jesus Christ. We, we carry his name. We're Christians. We're followers of Jesus Christ. What did he go through? He was mocked and ridiculed. He was tortured. He was hung on a cross. These things happen in Christ's life. And this is the man that we follow. This is a man with no sin who at times lived a life of great discomfort for our sake and to the glory of God. So if we're going to follow Christ, discomfort inevitably comes. So we have a choice to make. I have a choice to make. And this is a daily choice, a weekly choice. This is a choice that you have to make ongoing in your life. We have to choose what we're going to be uncomfortable for. Because I can almost guarantee that we're going to be uncomfortable for something. What are we going to invest in in our life? What are we going to grow in? Because if growth comes through being uncomfortable, we're going to grow in something. And that's a hard choice to make. Because here in America, we're constantly surrounded by all the things that our flesh desires. And we can have those things. We can have those things at a moment's notice. And not all of them are necessarily bad things. But they're things that we want. We're always surrounded by the things we want to do, the things we wish to invest in, and the things we wish to give our time to. We'll be uncomfortable to get ahead in our career. 
Uh, many of us will. We'll be uncomfortable to make more money because what does money give us more of? Comfort all the time. We'll be uncomfortable to make sure that our children fit in and that they're good in sports and that they have friends. And we'll invest in that. We'll be uncomfortable to, to grow closer to a, a person we love. Sometimes, even if it means sacrificing truth or our eternal position. We'll invest in those things. We'll be uncomfortable for those things. But when it comes to our Christianity and our spiritual walk, we will gather up all the grace that we can and then choose comfort. And the problem with that is Christ is coming. And even if he doesn't come in our lifetime, our days are numbered. Our next breath isn't guaranteed. We live in this constant realization, but it's hard for it to actually affect our life. So sometimes what we have to do, because some of these things are good. I didn't just list relationships and career and money and kids and sports. I didn't list a bunch of bad things. But sometimes we have a choice of whether or not to make good decisions that will positively, positively impact, our, impact our life on, on a dying earth, sorry, or great decisions that will have an eternal impact on our lives and the lives of others, especially unbelievers. There's a choice that we can make there. Why invest in something? If you're thinking from, of it from an investment standpoint, from a financial investment standpoint, why would you want to invest in something that is doomed to fail? Let's look at an example from the Bible. That's important. Most of you guys know this story of the rich fool, uh, but like I tell my teens all the time, listen to it with new ears. Pretend like you've never read it before um, because the word is living and active, and you never know what you might gain. So this is in Luke 12. Turn with me there. We're going to go uh, verses 13 through 21. Starting in verse 13. Luke 12, someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, fool. This night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. And there's some discomfort sometimes reading this parable. It's not the most comfortable thing to talk about riches um, when we live in a rich nation. But the rich, the rich fool wasn't a fool because he was rich. He was a fool because he made a terrible investment. He made some really good decisions on this earth for this earth, but he invested in a future 
that wasn't certain. And what did he invest with the hope of? He invested with the hope of eating, drinking, and being merry. He invested with the hope of comfort. But we all know from reading the parable, just really quickly, because it's a very obvious one, we're not trying to decipher anything there. He made a bad investment. He never enjoyed the fruits of his earthly labor. And his investment made him a fool. Because he chose the comfort of of a tiny little second over investing in eternity. Now for some of you again, this parable and some things might be making you uncomfortable. And I'll tell you right now, when I go down this line of thinking, it makes me uncomfortable. It's hard to hear. It's hard to wrestle with. And you might be saying there's nothing wrong with having money. There's nothing wrong with being good at your job, with, with, with being good in investments, with supporting your kids as they excel in sports, with having a nice house, a nice car. And you're right. You're right. There's nothing wrong with those things, but we got to be careful we don't take a big sigh of relief there because what you have to ask yourself is, is your spiritual walk getting the same attention as these things in your life? Do you invest in your relationship with Christ, in your knowledge of the word, like you invest in those earthly things? And I can give you guys a couple of questions to, to kind of give you a test to see where you are. If you want to know if you're unequally invested in worldly things and spiritual things, here's a simple test. Think about one of those things that you've invested in most on this earth. It can be a good thing or a bad thing. But a thing that you've invested in most on this earth. And imagine for whatever reason that that thing's gone. It disappears. You don't have it anymore. It's taken away from you. How sad are you that that thing's gone? Your career's over, your sports career is finished, your investments are liquidated, your house or your car's destroyed, they're gone. How do you feel when that happens? How much time is now wasted because that thing is gone? And it wasn't wasted when you had it, but how much time is wasted now that it's gone? And if it hurts, that makes sense to me. It should hurt because... You worked for it, and you gave of yourself to have it, and you were uncomfortable so you could have many of those things. And again, there's nothing wrong with feeling that way. If you invested greatly in these things, and then you'd be upset because they're gone, that makes sense to me, but you have to take it one step further. There's another question you have to ask yourself. Would you feel the same way if you lost your relationship with Jesus Christ? Would you feel the same way if he became distant in your life or if you were no longer able to decipher and benefit from his word or if your faith became stagnant, would you be equally as upset? And some of you guys are saying yes. And that's awesome because it means the same thing as those other investments. It means you gave of yourself. It means you put a lot into it. It means you invested in that relationship and you gained from and worked to have that amazing relationship. But I'm guessing for some of you, you aren't so sure. And you can answer that for yourself. One more thing, and then I'm going to tell you the, 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 the secret or the, the uh, 
admission that I talked about from the beginning of my lesson. CR is not for everybody. If you right now in your life are currently telling other about, others about Christ, if you are holding yourself or having someone help you hold, hold yourself accountable for sin, and you're holding others accountable for sin, if you're sharing the gospel, and if you're moving toward Christ despite it being uncomfortable, then you don't need it. We'd love to have you over there, and you could definitely help many people who are hurting, um, but you don't necessarily need it. But if you have chosen to live spiritually in comfort, or try to be comfortable in your spiritual walk, and you're stagnant in your faith, and you have a specific sin or struggle that's got its claws in you, and if you have little or no investment right now in your spiritual walk, then I would suggest taking a spiritual step of discomfort and joining the brave souls across the hall for Thursday night and joining in a step study. Okay. Here's the big secret you guys have been waiting for. It's really not that big of a secret. You guys probably all know this, but I want to admit it. I want to talk about it because it's what people say a lot when asked, do you want to be part of CR? Do you want to be in a step study? CR is not necessary to spread the gospel. That's it. What You guys already knew that. CR is not necessary for salvation. It's not necessary even to recover. And it's not necessary for a member here at Northside to participate in. And I can tell you from the four step studies that I went through and the men that I went through them with, that it either takes a ton of mental toughness or a very crushed and contrite heart to walk through those doors and swallow your pride on Thursday nights and and also in joining a step study. And I have the utmost respect for all of the men that I've had the privilege of going through a step study with. I'll make it more personal. CR was not necessary in my life. It wasn't. I was already saved when I walked through those doors. I was there to help other people. I didn't need CR to save me. So I went through those, that step study on four separate occasions, and it wasn't necessary. But it brought me closer to God. And it allowed me to understand grace at a much, much deeper level. And because of that, I started stepping out in ways that I had never stepped out before. I started doing things that I had never done before. I started studying the gospel with non-believers. Um, even got to, to, to baptize some people, which is an amazing experience. I started doing things that made me nervous, even though they made me nervous. I started uh, teaching at Celebrate Recovery. I started leading uh, a small group here at Northside. And I started seeing doors open where I could do more uncomfortable things and grow more spiritually in Christ. So I started walking through those doors. And for me personally, six years after I started that first step study, I found myself accepting a full-time ministry position here at Northside with these awesome people uh, in the front few rows here. And it's amazing. I love them. So again, CR wasn't necessary for me. It wasn't necessary for my salvation. But I thank God every day that he gave me the opportunity to swallow my pride and walk through those 12 steps 
to find his power. Because my life completely and utterly changed by doing that. There are a lot of things to use to be comfortable in this life. A lot of things, especially for us. But there's only one true place to find comfort. And it takes choosing discomfort to get there. And we can find this in the Word of God. Uh, and this is the, I think I've heard this every CR Sunday, this, this verse. But I'm going to go a step further because I want you to hear the end of it. I want you to hear how we're supposed to follow Christ through the hardships that he went through so we can find true comfort. 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 5. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. We'll read that one more time. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. And I thank God for that comfort and that joy that comes through salvation. So if you're here this morning and you're tired of your comfort, I've been there. If you're here this morning and you're tired of your comfort, if you have been sitting in it too long, and if you are spiritually restless, and if you're tired of smiling on the outside but being crushed inside of yourself, if you are grieving, if you are sinning and you can't stop, if you are filled with hate and unforgiveness, and if your life is in disarray, all of it, and you can't fix any of it because you're too sad, If you are anxious or angry, which I know we have many in our pews who are, if you are secretly addicted, and to you who are, I I know you're here, it might be time to take the steps to have an uncomfortable adventure. And I'm excited for you if that's what you're about to do. You can start this morning by going to the back of the auditorium where the elders are standing. You can meet them and you can... You can tell them what you're going through. But if you're here and, and, and you feel all of those things and you haven't made the decision to put Christ on in baptism and receive the help of the Holy Spirit as you embark on that uncomfortable journey, do that first. Because it will be extremely hard to be successful in any journey without making that decision. So if that's you... Take that first pride-swallowing step and head to the back of the auditorium this morning as we stand and sing.